as we step onto the scene of Scripture. We find ourselves in Jerusalem, the city of David, where the congregation of Israel has gathered together in response to King David's invitation. You see, many exciting things have happened in the nation of Israel over the past several months. David, the divinely appointed and uh, anointed king of Israel, has recently been recognized as such by both Judah and Israel. Then, once he was crowned king and having been challenged by the Jebusites, to take what many thought was an impregnable defensive position, David led a victorious military siege against the city of Jabus, which is located on Mount Zion, now known as the city of Jerusalem. He then rebuilt the city and moved the seat of his government from Hebron to Jerusalem. In an effort to unite the people of God, may I say that is exactly what began to happen. By the way, let me pause here for just a moment and say this. The people of God are always stronger when they are united. Always. When the people of God stand together, when we get our, our small differences and we set them aside and we stand together, we're stronger together and the power of God is seen and God can accomplish great things for us. That's why Paul said this, and let us consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now listen to me. The power of God will always be seen when the people of God get their hearts right with God settle their differences with the body of Christ and get on their knees before God together and pray for the power of God to be seen in their lives. Second Chronicles chapter number 7 and verse 14 puts it this way. If my people... Let me ask you a question. Is people singular or plural? It is plural. It means more than one. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's exactly what David desired. May I say that ought to be what you and I desire today as well. You see, under King David's leadership, Jerusalem has now become the political capital of the nation of Israel. And what a glad, glorious, and exciting day that must have been. But get this, for David, that wasn't enough. You see, David wasn't just interested in the nation of Israel becoming a successful nation. His desire was that the nation of Israel would be successful because they were spiritual. 
Now I say the Bible is very clear in Psalm 33, 12 where it was David who said this, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom He hath chosen for His own inheritance. But David understood something. He knew that if the nation of Israel was going to be a spiritual nation, then the Ark of the Covenant of God had to be brought back into the heart of the nation. Now I remind you, the Ark of the Covenant was really not a large piece of furniture. It was only about four and a half feet wide by about two and a half feet deep. It was not a large piece of furniture. Matter of fact, it was made out of wood, overlaid with gold on the inside and on the outside. On top of it sat a golden crown and a golden mercy seat and two golden cherubims as their wings began to touch each other over that mercy seat. It was on the Ark of the Covenant that the priest, as he would enter in one time a year in the holiest of holies, as he would take the blood of the Lamb and he would approach the mercy seat and he'd take the blood and he'd sprinkle the blood on the covenant, on the Ark of the Covenant. In that Ark, there were a, a few items. It included the tablets of stone that contained the writing of the law. A reminder of God's desire for His people. Secondly, there was also found inside of that ark a container of manna. The manna that God provided from heaven for them as they journeyed through the wilderness and it served as a reminder of God's promises and God's provisions for His people. Inside it was also Aaron's rod that budded. A reminder of our responsibility to surrender our will to the will of God. It was this Ark of the Covenant that was used, as you'll study the Old Testament Scriptures, it was used for several reasons. Number one, it was used as a signal for direction. Many times the Old Testament will take and the Ark of the Covenant will lead the way and the people of God were supposed to follow it. It was a signal for direction. Secondly, it was used as a source of inspiration. When the ark was in the presence of the military battles and the, the victories that they were, the battles that would fight, there was encouragement and there was courage and there was strength that was derived from seeing the ark of the covenant. Thirdly, it was a symbol of habitation. Now I say, there was nothing special about the ark itself other than the fact that it was the place where the Shekinah glory of God descended in the Holy of Holies and resided there between those two cherubims. And it was a symbol, it was a picture of the presence of God amongst His people. Fourthly, it was a sight of both adoration and appreciation. 
It was a place where their love for the promise of God, for the desire of God in their life, they came and they said, we love you enough to take the blood of the Lamb as you commanded us to do and to offer that blood as an offering to you, as a covering for our sin. Keep in mind, the New Testament is going to say that all the shed blood of the Old Testament couldn't cleanse sin. It couldn't take away sin. All it could do was cover the sin. Jesus. Jesus' blood, however, could do a whole lot more than cover sin. The Bible is very clear, clear that it's the blood of Jesus that takes away our sin and it casts it into the sea of God's forgetfulness, never to be reminded again by God. It was a place of gratification, a place of appreciation. Remember that Ark of the Covenant sat in the holy, the holy place? And they would come in before that veil. And they would offer those wave offerings before God. Gratitude for the blessings of God in harvest. Gratitude for the blessings of God and how He had provided for them in every area of their life. We come to First Chronicles in chapter 13. Here's what you find. For many years, many up to this point had been trying to figure out what to do with something that represented the presence of God. You study your Bible, you'll find that King Saul didn't know what to do with it. As a matter of fact, you'll find that King Saul decided to neglect the very item that represented the presence of God. I'll go as far as saying this, it's because of his neglect of the presence of God that led to the rebellious heart that he developed later in life. The life of the nation of Israel. As they moved into the land of promise, the land of Canaan, the ark of God was simply set aside, forsaken, and for all intents and purposes it was forgotten. You can look in the life and ministry of Eli and his two sons, Phinehas and Hophni. And you'll find that it was the Ark of the Covenant that was abused and used for personal gain. Then you'll find the Philistines, they came up against the people of God. They took the Ark of God in battle and they got it home and said, you know what, we don't want it after all, let's get rid of it. Let me say this, that's exactly what's happening in America. They don't know what to do with God. The Bible says they're carnal. They can't understand the things of God. And so they try to get rid of them. And may I say, they're doing a fine job at it. They've kicked them out of our schoolhouses. They've kicked prayer out. They've kicked the Ten Commandments out. They're doing everything they can to box up anything that has to do with God in the four walls of the building because they don't want Him and they want to get rid of Him so He can't convict them of their sinful life. First Chronicles 13, King David begins to understand the importance and the necessity of the Ark of the Covenant. And he turns to the congregation of Israel and says, we pick up our reading in 1 Chronicles chapter 13 and verse number 2. If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere 
that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us. And let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. All the congregation said that they would do so. You ought to mark that phrase. For the things, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Shihor of Egypt, even in the entering of Hemath, to bring the ark of God from Kirjat Jerim. And David went up and all Israel to Bala, that is to Kirjat Jerim, which belonged to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of God the Lord that dwelleth between the cherubims, whose name is called on it. They carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab. And Uzzah and Ahio drave the cart. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might and with singing, with harps and with psalteries and with timbrels and with cymbals and with trumpets. When they came under the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, but the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark and there he died before God. David was displeased because the Lord had made a, a breach upon Uzzah. Wherefore, that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of God that day saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? So David brought not the ark home to himself to the city of David, but carried it aside in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months, and the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. If you're in the habit of marking things in the Word of God, I want to draw your attention back to verse number 12, where David says this, how shall I bring the ark of God home to me? How shall I bring the ark of the covenant home to me? Our thought this morning is simply this. God, please bless my home. God, please bless my home. I say this morning, it doesn't matter what size your home is. It doesn't matter the makeup of your home. It doesn't matter the location of your home. Every home in this room this morning has something in common. It's called problems. Anybody here this morning have problems in your home? Wives, don't look at your husband. I saw that. You're like, yeah, and he's sitting right there, you know. All of us have problems in our homes. Oh, they may be different. Some may be more difficult and more troubling than others. Now I say that the reality is that because of sin, every family is a dysfunctional family. Every family is a place that could use and that needs just a little bit of help. Sometimes these problems, these struggles in our homes are caused by cultural norms. Now I say we don't fully understand a lot of this, but 
when the nation goes against the things of God, it seems like there are pressures put on the home and pressures put on the family that oftentimes allows for sinfulness and wickedness to creep into our lives, creating friction and struggles, parents and children and husbands and wives. Sometimes they're not caused by cultural norms, but they are caused by natural storms. You say, preacher, what do you mean? I'm saying those things that happen in your life and mine that we just absolutely have no control over. You ever been through something that you just had no control over? I mean, we see this morning, Jay sitting right back here on this back row. And I know, I know that Mr. Roberta had no plans to go through the, 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 the hardship, the difficult. I'm not, Jay, I'm not saying you're being difficult. <laughs> He's saying, I know I'm difficult, right? Yeah, yeah. Before. Before. But you know, he had no plans. Guess what? It happened. It happened. It could be a financial responsibility or financial strain on your home. Somebody may lose a job through no fault of their own. Something may happen and you had no control over it and yet there's problems in the home. Sometimes they're not caused by cultural norms. Sometimes they're not called, caused by, by uh, natural storms. I mean, I say sometimes uh, they're just caused by personal foolishness. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? Can I just put it clear? I'm talking about stupidity. Stu- you, you, anybody got somebody in their home that's just stupid? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you, you get together for family gatherings, for family members, and there's that one person that you just don't say anything at all around because you know as soon as you say that one slight little thing, everything is going to blow up and World War III is going to take, take place in your kitchen table. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Preacher, you're hitting home, right? Preacher, how do you know about my home? Can I say this? Because it's in my home too. Everybody has problems and everybody needs a little help. It may be envy, it may be jealousy, it may be just disagreements or maybe some kind of misunderstanding, but it has caused friction and it has caused frustration and you get to the point where you just don't know what to do and you're ready to throw in the towel and quit and be done. You ever find yourself to the place where you just wish something good would happen in your home? I mean, honestly, would somebody do or would something just go right for once? I want you to notice what's happening here in the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel has been on this downward spiral. I mean, things have been getting worse and worse. They've not been getting better. The nation of Israel rejected God as their king. And they said, we want to be like everybody else. Would you give us a man uh, to serve as the king over us? And God says, fine, if you don't want me, I'll give you what you want. And may I say, that wasn't what they needed. 
David finally gets to the point where he realizes we're missing something. I want you to notice that that there was a lot of people here. Notice, notice who's here. First Chronicles 13, verse number 1. And David consulted with the captains. I mean, you've got people of influence, people of authority, and they're gathered together. Captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation, hey, here's just common people. Here's lay folk, the everyday people. If it seem good unto you, uh, that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad uh, unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and Levites. Listen, there's a whole lot of people here. Everybody's there except one person. He said, Preacher, who are you talking about? God ain't nowhere to be found. You say, Wait a second, preacher. I thought God was everywhere. Oh yes, God is everywhere. But remember where you are. You're in the Old Testament Scriptures. It was that Ark of the Covenant that served as the symbol of the habitation of the dwelling place of God. And while all the people was there, all the important people in the nation of Israel, while they're all gathered together, God is nowhere to be found. I don't want you just to see who's there. I want you to notice what they're doing. David has just won this victory over Jabus, the Jebusites, that's now called Jerusalem. War causes destruction. Just no way around it. And so David gets in. He's got these leaders. He's got those in authority. And they are working together to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. I mean, meetings are happening. I mean, plans are being put together. Things are being remodeled and things are being rebuilt and new constructions going up. But guess what? Nobody's seeking Jesus. Nobody's worshiping God. Oh, they're doing a whole lot of things, but they're leaving out the most important thing. I think you probably already get where I'm going. All across this nation, there's families who have people who identify themselves as Christians. There's churches meeting all across this country today that are full of people who say, yes, I've been saved. Yes, I know Jesus as my Savior. There's a whole lot of people who are doing things. Some of them are singing in the choir. Some of them are are working in the sound booth. Some of them are playing piano. Some of them are putting biscuits and gravy together on the sun. You say, preacher, I'm so glad for all of those things. And I say this, I'm glad for them too. But if they're doing all of the service without the presence of God, then it's all vain. It accomplishes nothing. David realized He said we're doing a whole lot of things. And there's a whole lot of people who's making things happen. But he says we're missing something. We're missing God. God's nowhere to be found. I want you to see this morning here in 1 Chronicles chapter 13. I want you to see David's desire. David's desire. Here's David. 
David just recently recognized by both kingdoms as king. And now he's trying to unify and unite. But there's something in David's heart that realizes that he needs the power of God on him. There's something in the heart that the Bible labels as a man after God's own heart. There's something on the inside that begins to bubble up. Something that he just can't contain any longer. I think of Jeremiah. Jeremiah said that he would not speak anymore of the things of God. But then he says this, but your word was as a fire that was shut up in my bones. And he says, I couldn't take it any longer. I just had to let it out. That's what David's doing. David knows something's missing. David knows that something is needed. And he quiets down all the congregation. And he quiets down all the people. And he quiets down all the leaders. And he says this, guys, we need something. We need God. I wonder today, when's the last time you set aside your busy schedule? When's the last time you got your mind off the distractions that the devil has placed in your life and came to the point that realized you're doing a whole lot, but you're doing it without the presence and the power of God? Notice three things, four things with me here this morning. David. Well, notice with me in verse 2. David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel with them also to the priests and Levites which are in their cities and suburbs that they may gather themselves unto us and let us bring again the ark of God of our God to us for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. David began to look back over the life of King Saul which he understood because he was there playing the harp to soothe the heart and mind of King Saul. And he knew that Saul didn't seek the presence of God. David's desire was this. David desired to experience the presence of God in his life. He said, I want to know God. And he took it a step further. Not just, I want to know God better, but he said, I need to know God better. Psalm 63, 1. It was David who cried out and said this, Oh God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see Thy power and Thy glory so as I have seen Thee in the sanctuary. David says this, God, I've seen You work. God, I've seen you do some incredible things. God, I've seen you go above and beyond what I could ever ask and what I could ever think. And God, I need you if I'm going to be the king that I need to be. God, I need you if I'm going to be the husband that I need to be. God, I need you if I'm going to be the father that I need to be. He says this, God, I need your presence in my life. It was Jesus 
in Matthew in chapter number 5 that says this, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Can I ask you a question? What is it going to take for you to get your mind and your eyes off yourself and put it back on Jesus? To once again place great value on knowing God and seeing God work in your life. I have no doubt in my mind if I was asked the question this morning, how many of you long to see the presence of God in your life? Have no doubt every hand in this room would go up. But if I follow it up with a second question, how many of you are allowing distractions to keep you from pursuing it? Not as many hands would go up, although just about as many should. Say, preacher, how can you say that? Because I'll, I'll go a step further. Every one of us in this room has some area of our life, has something that God doesn't have full control over. Every preacher, not me. I'll tell you what, it's honesty. We have been so deceived by the adversary. He has so blinded us to the wickedness and the weaknesses that's in our own life and we've convinced ourselves that, hey, everything's all right. Huh? Friend, problems are in your home that you don't have an answer to. Only God does. And you ain't pursuing. David desired to experience the presence of God in his life. But notice in verse number 12, Bible says, and David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God? What's that next word? Home to me. You see, David didn't just desire to see the presence of God in his life, but David desired to experience the presence of God in his home. I say, for the biggest percentage of Christians today, the only level and intake of spiritual things that you get is 30 to 45 minutes on a Sunday morning. You say, preacher, what's wrong with that? Can I tell you what? You're starving to death spiritually all throughout the week. I'll take it a step further. Because you're starving to death spiritually through the week, you're one of those that end up making those stupid decisions. You say, preacher, can you say that? Sure can. You say, why? Because I've made a ton of those stupid decisions in my own home and life. I'm one of those. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this. We try to get 30 to 40 minutes of Bible teaching and preaching into our heart and mind every single week, and then we go home and we turn on the addiction tube. The filth trap. It may be through the eye gate or through the ear gate, but we keep pouring in all this stuff and we invite all of this non-spiritual stuff into our home and we sit back and say, why isn't God showing up in my home? I'll tell you why. He ain't got room. He ain't got room. Preacher, what, what, what should I do in my home? i tell you what. Instead of turning on the, the rock and roll channel, instead of turning on the country music, how you, you lose everything. You know what you get when you play country music backwards, right? 
You get your dog back, your truck back, your home back. I mean, everything comes back to you. How that fits into the message, I have no idea. <laughs> but I'll say this. We need to stop filling our heart and mind with stuff that aren't, that's not important. With stuff that's not helpful. With stuff that isn't pleasing to God. How about you open your Bible and read your Bible a little bit? Preacher, I ain't got time to pray. No, but you can watch that. Whatever. You fill in the blank. Preacher, I don't have time for the things of God. No, but you can go here and do that and go there and do that. You got your schedule so full of stuff that doesn't please God. No wonder you have time for it. Can I say this? You'll never have time for God until you make up your mind to make time for God? Let me ask you a question. Is it worth it? Yeah, preacher, it's worth it. Well, let's see some changes take place in all. Let's see an emphasis on the things of God. Thirdly, I need to hurry. Look at verse number 2. David said to all the congregation of Israel, if it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and the Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us. You see, David just didn't desire to experience the presence of God in his life. David didn't just desire to experience the presence of God in his home. But did you catch the third thing? Who does he highlight in verse number 2? The Levites and the priests. You see, thirdly, David desired to experience the presence of God in his church. He said, wait a second, preacher. Your Old Testament scriptures, I, I, I get it. Temple worship, I get it. That's where God showed up to work. And yes, God can show up and work in your home today. May I say God has chosen to accomplish His work today through the local New Testament church and the people of God when they come together in one accord with one heart and one mind. God shows up and His presence is there and His power is there and the world can be turned upside down. because of I wonder. Do you truly desire to experience the presence of God in the church? So, oh, preacher, I'd love to. And yet prayer rooms on Sunday night, ladies right over here, and men right over here, and there may be two or three people over here or two or three people over there. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying we must not really want it. Altar's empty. People not seeking to let God do something in life. Preacher, I just, I'm afraid of what somebody will say if I get up and go to the altar. I'd be more afraid of what you're going to miss out in the presence and the purpose of God for your life because you didn't go. We live in more the fear of man than we do living in the fear of God. You sit back and say, God, why aren't you working? God, why aren't you moving? God, why is people not being saved? Why are lives not being changed? It's because the people of God don't want it. 
He would say, get the priests and get the Levites and get them back in the house of God. Get them back to serve and get them back to pray. Get on your knees together before God. Say, God, we got to have you. David desired to experience the presence of God in his life. David desired to have the experience the presence of God in his home. David desired to experience the presence of God in his church. But notice verse number 12. David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? You can look in verse 2, And David sent all the congregation of Israel that seemed good unto you. And that it be of the Lord your God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere there are left in all the land of Israel. And with them also to the priests and Levites which are in their cities and suburbs that they may gather themselves unto us and let us Bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. He wanted to experience God in his life, God in his home, God in his church. Now I say, he wanted to experience God in his country. He wanted to be a part of a nation that blessed God and that was blessed by God because they had a high respect and reverence of God himself. Now I say, that's what America used to be. But it's been a long time since we've been that kind of person. That kind of nation. And I'll tell you why. We're not seeing God move and work in our nation. Because we don't desire to see God work in churches. We don't desire to see God work in our churches because honestly, deep down, we may not ever verbalize it. But we don't want to see God work in our home. Because we're afraid of what He may ask us to do. We're afraid of how our schedule may have to change. And we don't see God work and experience His presence in our home because it's got to get personal. We don't want to see God work in our own life. It starts here. Oh, a preacher, if all of those other people down at the church would get right, no, 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 you're looking the wrong place. Remember the old saying, if you, if you point your fingers, you've got three more pointing back at you? Problem's not over there. Problem's here. David knew in the presence of God there's great joy. He says that in the book of Psalms. You may be here today, like David says there in verse number 12. How shall I bring God home? Our title this morning is simply this. God, please bless my home. You really want it? David did. The Bible says there in verses 2 and 3, and all the people said, let's get it. Let's bring it home. It was a personal decision. I wonder today, is God working? Do you want Him to? Are you willing to come before God and cry out and say, God, please, oh God, please, bless my home.